everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Parsha podcast, where we spend about 30 minutes discussing deep thematic points about the Parsha. Our series on Vayikra is titled Kedusha is in the Details and explores the way these laws try and elevate each of our most basic human functions, food intake, bodily functions, relationships, spaces of worship, and our use of time. Check out the Matan website for details about this year's summer program, Jack's Queens and Kings, which will run from June 25th until July 12th. We'll be delving into the roles of kings, governing powers, and advisors in Jewish texts and thought. This week's episode has been dedicated in memory of Yehuda ben Shlomo by his daughter. He was a man who deeply enjoyed Torah learning and was zochet to learn in Kolel after he retired in Israel. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast.matan.org.il. These sponsorships enable us to keep creating new content, so if you have deliberated until now, don't hesitate to be in touch. Parshiot Achrei Mot Kedoshim contain a fascinating mixture of laws. The first parsha opens with what we call Avodat Yom Kippurim, the yearly purification rite performed by the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. But it interestingly opens with a flashback to the deaths of Aaron's two sons. The Torah explains that one cannot appear at any time to bring korbanot of atonement, but that they have a designated time and place, for example, this once yearly ritual. This frames the earlier sins of Aharon's sons not as a blunder of intention, but as one of timing and freedom of movement. After this, the Parsha records several prohibitions regarding korbanot, like the prohibition to slaughter the animal outside the approved precinct, the requirement to cover the blood, and the prohibition to eat the blood. These laws reflect the basic Torah belief in line with many ancient systems that blood represents the soul of a living being and therefore cannot be consumed and must be highly respected. The list of prohibited sexual relations that follows this section was addressed in last week's episode with Shana Goldberg. This week's conversation focuses on Parshat Kedoshim. The list that follows the general injunction to be Kadosh, which we'll discuss today, is varied in a somewhat puzzling way, from keeping Shabbat, gifts to the poor, agricultural laws about not eating tree fruits until the fourth year, idolatry prohibitions, the lack of clear connection between the mitzvot can feel overwhelming at times. The last chapter of the Parsha addresses the punishments for various egregious sins, like recalling dead spirits, prohibited sexual relationships, and cursing one's parents. This section strongly correlates worship of other gods with adultery by continually classifying it as nut or prostitution. In this light, the sexual prohibitions mentioned and the theological adultery become connected sins. Both constitute abrogation of a relationship meant to be monogamous and morally pure. Today, I welcome a new guest to the podcast, Dr. Julie Goldstein, who was the founder, director, and Rosh HaMidrashah at Midrashat Amudim in Yerushalayim, and whose academic background is in medieval Jewish history. Julie, it's a pleasure to have you here. Hi, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. So we're here today to speak about, as I said, Parshat Kedoshim, and specifically about sort of the opening statement of Daber el kol adat b'nei Yisrael, v'amarta alehem, Kedoshim tihiyu, ki Kedosh ani Adonai lohechem. Uh, that if we loosely translate it, we have one of the only two times really in the Torah where we have this general statement that's addressed to all of Am Yisrael in the most sort of inclusive phrasing we can have. And this 
stipulation is to be kadosh because God is kadosh. Now, <laughs> there obviously are so many ways to grapple with this pasuk and what this really means. So why don't you jump into that sort of classic multi-generational question wherever it feels right for you today? I guess the question that strikes anybody who comes across this pasuk is what does it mean to be kadosh, right? This is a very broad sweeping statement, um, both after we receive a bunch of laws in Ahremot and before we receive a whole set of other laws in what scholars call the holiness code, right? In Kadoshim, right after this imperative of Kadoshim to you. So what is the Torah trying to convey? What's Hashem trying to tell us when in between sets of laws, he says you should be holy. And is that is that imperative, is that mandate to be holy connected to those behaviors that come both before it and after it? And if it is connected to what it's flanked by, a set of behaviors that we're supposed to do or not do, a set of instructions, then it kind of feels counterintuitive or it seems counterintuitive because in general, maybe because of Christianity, I'm not sure, but for some reason, we, at least in this generation, tend to associate holiness with something disembodied, with something ephemeral, with something transcendent, not something as earthly, as corporeal, as behaviors, Right. So why would Hashem tell us or uh, to be holy right next to a set of behaviors? Are, are they supposed to be associated with each other? That just that just seems to be a little bit strange. Yeah. And, also, modern sensibility. and, and also, you know, we learn of the phrase Kedusha first by what Hashem says about Shabbat, meaning that phrase first comes into our consciousness when Vayikadish write the Shabbat in the beginning of, of Sefer Breshit in the second chapter. So like the first introduction to the concept of Kedusha is, is specifically in time. And here, as you said, it's being correlated with behavior. So our question becomes, what is this, right? What, what does it actually mean to 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 be Kadosh? I'm specifically not translating it as holy because I think that there are obviously many ways that it could possibly be translated. So I think that's that that's, uh, it's, a, it's a massive question. You know, it also, it sends me back to, not to belabor the point, I feel like no one can say anything these days without mentioning Rabbi Sachs, but <laughs> something that he writes in his introduction to Sefer Vayikra, which to me is honestly one of the best introductions I've ever read. And, and he says a few important pieces, but he first says that, Again, trying to define what this phrase or th this concept of kedusha is. So he first mentions Rudolf Otto, who says holiness is sort of the frightening and enthralling mystery of the infinite, which is what you would say before. It's like transcendent. It's something that we can't actually get our hands on, which would seem very different from what the stipulations of this week's Parsha are. And, and others have said that Kedusha is sort of being in the presence of something that you feel awe. These are all more like, I would even say emotions or they're, they're not, they're not specifically rooted in the behavior. He, he later himself in an introduction speaks about um, holiness is emptiness, meaning the reason why Shabbat and the Mikdash are called Kadosh are because they're open spaces in which we can invite God into them. So, but that all connects this phrase of Kedusha with 
with time, essentially, with time or with the structure, which is very different from this week's Parsha. So I'm just bringing that up as sort of a complement to the question of what does it mean in this week's Parsha and why is it sort of stuck there in between all these behaviors? So why don't mm-hmm. we also hear what uh, sort of some other other perspectives, specifically on this Pasuk and what this Pasuk is doing, opening up our Parsha? That's a good idea. I guess I would start with the most famous the most famous one that comes to mind um, is the Ramban's understanding of what Kedusha is when he comments on Kedushim Tiyu. And he famously associates Kedushim Tiyu with super irrigation, the need to go beyond the technical prescriptions of the Torah. And, you know, ultimately, while he doesn't say this outrightly, everything that he does says kind of implies that very strongly that to be kadosh to achieve i'm going to use the word holiness yeah go for it or to achieve kadusha is uh to achieve it one is to restrict oneself from worldly engagement um from excessive worldly engagement right for the for the ramban he you know bases it on uh on a statement in yevamot kadesh atmacha bemutharlach that you should be makadish yourself, is sanctify yourself within that which is permissible to you. Even though something is permissible to you, you should extend your restraint when it comes to that which is permissible to you. And ultimately, you should restrict uh, eating, even though eating is permissible to you. And you should restrict your sexual activity and you should um, minimize your wine intake and you should guard your mouth from 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 speech, from certain kinds of speech. You're a lot, and all of those are permissible to you. The dafka in those areas uh, where you should limit yourself. So he's basically um, saying that all of these, this list, are things you're allowed to do according to the laws that the Torah has given uh-huh. you, but do them uh-huh. better. Don't settle for just doing things right. He, of course, he has the famous phrase of Naval Bereshut Torah that uh-huh. essentially you can follow all of these laws and still not be uh-huh. a particularly good person. And so the stipulation right. of Kadoshim to you means do better than the baseline requirement. Right. And the reason for the mitzvot is just a baseline requirement. They're right. just baseline. They're just a starting point. Um, I tell my kids and, this about um, school. I, they say, oh, well, we, yeah. we we did our homework. I said, yeah, but the expectation of what you're being given is particularly mediocre. So let's do better. Mm-hmm. And we have we have enrichment, you know, packets here. And, you know, don't don't settle for that. Settling for that will will leave you at mediocrity. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite mm-hmm. a strong statement, but. They seem to be handling it okay until this point. Right. But yeah, that's that's an important piece. Because also you might think that, you know, actually the Torah has a very high order. And the Ramban says, nope, you can actually do all this and still be a fairly mediocre person. It kind of reminds me of like, like unhealthy vegetarianism. Meaning like you can be a vegetarian mm-hmm. and eat so much junk. You can even be a vegan and eat so much junk. But to really be, to really inhabit those mind spaces of, of real, of food that is really nourishing your body, you have to do it well. But an Naval Torah is not just mediocre. The fact that he calls it Naval, which is kind of disgusting. Yeah, no, it's, be a disgusting it's very person, negative. Yeah. Means that it's that it, that you really have to do kedoshim to you. That you that this is it, it would be a real problem if you're just doing the baseline. You're definitely you're you're not achieving holiness. Maybe if you're just doing the baseline, you don't have. That doesn't mean that you're a naval. <laughs> you could do the baseline and not be a naval. But if you just do the baseline, 
uh, you're not achieving Kedoshim to you. And, you know, he also brings in, by the way, not only Kedoshim to you, uh, he's, he's speaking about, he's commenting on Kedoshim to you, but he also brings in Asita Hayashar Vatov, which is another sweeping statement. And he also brings in Shabbat as examples of other places in the Torah where you have this textual phenomenon. You have this way that the words and the phrases are laid out wherein he calls it lefrot going from the details, first the details are laid out, and then some kind of sweeping statement, just like we see in Achrei Mot and, and, and Kedoshim. We have mm-hmm. details of laws put out, and then we have this generalized kind of statement. But it's interesting that if you think about it, the difference between Kedoshim Tihiyu as telling us to go beyond the baseline that was established right before Kedoshim Tihiyu and Vaasita Hayashar Vahatov, which is telling us to go beyond what came before Vaasita Hayashar Vahatov, is that Kadoshim Tiyu, and we're trying, and, and I'm saying this because you and I are trying to understand what Kadusha is, and trying to avoid the word holiness because it has so many connotations for people, right? Kadoshim Tiyu for the Ramban stays within the realm of Ben Adam Lamakom. Vasita Hayashar Vahatov. Once you're talking about goodness, once you're talking about going on the straight and narrow, like being a good person, then you're starting to talk about other people. And that Kadoshim to you, God says, be Kadosh because I'm Kadosh. This is something having to do with godliness. Ben Adam Lamakom, our relationship with God or our resembling of God, our mimicry of God, our being divine or godlike. Vasita Hayashar Vatov is Ben Adam Lachavero. So there, for the Ramban, there's a, a super erogatory imperative Ben Adam Lamakom based on Kedoshim to you and Ben Adam Lachavero based on Vasita Hayashar Vatov. How do we compare that with the Rambam's approach to this question? Where does so he it's, go with it's this? Really, it's really interesting that you ask that because nobody ever evokes the Rambam. Like the Ramban is famous. Yeah. But I don't know if I've ever been in a shear where anybody has brought in the Rambam. Maybe it's because it's like less, less pretty. I don't right. know. Maybe it's less attractive. But uh, the Rambam's understanding comes in his Sefer HaMitzvot which is a book that attempts to uh, understand biblical imperatives and in what he calls the Shorashim. It's his it's Shorash HaRavi'i. And he's giving criteria for which mitzvot he includes in the 613 because there are tons and tons of imperatives in the Torah. And the Ram was like, I really have to zero in. You know, it's interesting that he's he feels committed and married to the number 613. He's like, I got to get to, I got to narrow these down to the 613. I'm going to tell you which criteria I use in order to ascertain which ones I'm going to include in my list, right? And there that he's not going to include any of these sweeping statements, right? Of like, Kedoshim to you, Shevatov, or whatever, you know, um, you know uh, uh, he brings in a whole list of, of statements um, where God says, uh, like, you, you know, just general thing, like, keep my commandments, right? Um, which are general statements. He says, I'm not going to uh, consider those specific ones on, you know, on my list of 613 mitzvot. And 
when he comes to Kedoshim Tiyu, he says some people erroneously include it as a separate mitzvah, when it's really just an all-encompassing mitzvah. It's really just ultimately saying that all the mitzvot that I'm listing, every every mitzvah that, that you hear about will lead to Kedusha. That's it. Mm-hmm. So Kedoshim Tiyu, holiness or Kedusha, according to the Rambam, is just by keeping the mitzvot. You know, by the way, one textual sort of support for what the Rambam says is that the list mm-hmm. in our Parsha, as I said in the introduction, is not all Ben Adam Limakom, meaning the Ramban's approach there isn't necessarily so well supported by this week's Parsha because that list really is a big mix of things. And, mm-hmm. and so there's a little bit more of a support in this week's Parsha, at least for for the idea of the Rambam, that it's, it's really all the mitzvot. The Rambam's very different. The Rambam's just, you know, you achieve Kedusha, by keeping the mitzvot as they're presented. You're not transcending anything. You're not going beyond thinking about the differences between the Rambam and the Ramban. For the Rambam, it's communal. Meaning, for the Rambam, any average person can achieve Kedusha just by subscribing to the laws. Right. That's it. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Um, so if you connect yourself to the to the brother or sisterhood of the observant community of the Shomri Mitzvot, you achieve Kedusha for the Rambam. That for the that's not so for the Ramban. You know what? I, I also maybe in our time remaining want us to think a little bit about like maybe we could call it ethics or maybe morality. Meaning are there those out there who who think about this term? We spoke up until then about kedushas having to do with your mitzvah observance, whether it's a, it's re- re- speaking about all the mitzvot or it's speaking about going above and beyond the mitzvot. But I'll just mm-hmm. bring a line, let's say, from Radatz Hoffman because apparently I've made it a goal to quote him in every single episode of Parsha Vayikra. <laughs> um, but just <laughs> one one line, he says, "I promise everyone, I've been doing more research, but in the end, I always come back to him." So he he says, for example, what does it mean kedusha? He says, musarit, the highest level of moral perfection, that aims really to only do good and to despise evil. And so that mm-hmm. statement is is really an ethical statement. It has nothing to do with the mitzvot themselves. It has to do, mm-hmm. maybe you'll use the mitzvot as a, as a tool through which you achieve that. But there he's talking about uh, as a moral, a certain moral perfection. So I'm curious if maybe you can bring us sort of maybe other ideas that touch upon that idea of sort of more of a, a morality, a perfected morality, as opposed to the way that people are using the mitzvot themselves. You know, I think any commentary that bring, that associates Gdoshim Tihiyu with ethics must be riffing off of the Ramban. So that what the Ramban is saying is that Gdoshim Tihiyu demands that we act with further morality that's dictated by the Torah. He says, so when he's, when he's pointing to Kedoshim Tiyu as a solution, it's the solution to being bad, to being a bad person. Once you're talking about badness, then you're getting into the realm of morality. Kedoshim Tiyu is the solution to badness, to being an aval. And then people can run with that to say, well, what does it mean to be bad versus what does it mean to be good and connect it, um, connect the notion of ethics to Kedoshim Tiyu. And it's also because of what we said before, that the Ramban invokes Vasita Hayashavar HaTov when trying to, to prove this 
textual phenomenon of of prat and klal, um, is a moral imperative. It's about being it's about being good. And so that's already to be good to other people is already more personal than the Ramban's withdrawal theory, Mm -hmm. you know, refraining theory. We're talking about something interpersonal, something social, something that's a a, a proactive thing that vis-a-vis another another human being. And that's where of Arnold Lichtenstein, for example, you know, takes the Ramban. He invokes the Ramban. He agrees with the Ramban that there's something, number one, there's something beyond what the Torah demands. Number two, there's... Wait, Julia, uh, I want to stop you there for a second. That's a very big deal to say that. Meaning to say that there is an an ethic of goodness or morality that goes beyond Mm -hmm. the Torah's mitzvot, that itself Mm -hmm. is a very very significant philosophical statement, right? There's Mm -hmm. a question. Maybe there's nothing beyond the Torah, right? And and so Mm -hmm. that itself is... I just want to stop there and have our listeners understand that that is sort of a... We are creating a, a policy here, which says the Torah is not the end all and be all. So just, okay, pointing that piece out. Yes. Yeah, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein creates a whole, he, Aaron, it, it's hugely important to point that out because Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, Rav Lichtenstein creates an entire worldview out of this, yeah. right? So yes, uh, he agrees with Ramban um, and, and we're attributing to this to the Ramban as establishing this, that there is something supra, meta, extra halachic, right? Something beyond what the Torah demands, that withdrawal creates some kind of holiness and that there's something positive to achieve, you know, that we can proactively ach- do in order to um, achieve this thing called kedusha, you know, beyond what the what the halacha what the halacha demands. And by the way, this notion that there is this huge notion that you that that you pointed to that there's something beyond halacha is in the Torah itself. Like not only you know in the Ramban's understanding of kedushim to you, just um, almost in the pshat of the Torah, the Torah. And I, I'm talking about the Hamishachum Shei Torah. I'm also talking about, you know, rabbinic literature, certainly too, you know, but the Torah itself tells us that there's something beyond halacha in the narratives. I mean, people do that all the time in drushas when people are there. This, this story in, in, in the Torah tells us that we have to do hachnasas orachim. And this t- tells us, uh, you know, uh, uh, dictates what, what the nature of our relationship with God should be. And, you know, all these kind of things. There's, there's certainly halacha in the Torah, but, I think most of the people who would be listening to this podcast um, will have heard a shear that's not just about halacha, but um, about how we're, how we're supposed to function, how we're supposed to operate. I mean, the whole story of um, Adam and Chava, I think sets the stage for the development of a Jewish ethical attitude and uh, the Akeda and Amalek and Irni Dachat. And then, you know, um, Rabbinic statements like an Erevin that you could learn X Mida from the cat and Y Mida from the ant, you know, these character traits from this animal and that character trait from that animal, that, that implies that there's, there's, 
there are systems outside of the Torah that we can consult. So I, so maybe um, just to point to out something. one thing in, in what you're saying, because on one hand, a lot of those examples you brought are things that we have legal stipulations about. We have laws regarding Nir Nidachat. We have laws regarding mm-hmm. uh, regarding what to do with Amalek. But you're saying two things. One is that those mm-hmm. laws also reflect a certain ethic and slash morality. And the other thing mm-hmm. you're saying is that there is also the realm of character development, which is a, which I think also like almost like deserves its own piece. I mean, you can do, you can fulfill mm-hmm. halacha and it doesn't necessarily say anything about your character, mm-hmm. who you are, how you behave. You might do certain behaviors, but it doesn't mean that that's where you reflect or the energy you give off. But there is this separate space of how does somebody behave while they are fulfilling those laws. And that is already another level, which we're also saying may be part of this concept of Kedusha, meaning someone who's, as maybe it's what the Radatz Hoffman means, it's their, their morality, how they behave in this world, how they treat their mother, how they treat their sister, how they treat the person walking in the street who asks them for money. It's not just do they give them money or not when they ask them, but it's how what their attitude is while they're doing that. So maybe that's sort of like uh, another branch of this of, of identifying what does it mean kedoshim to you? Maybe it means developing your moral character so that when you fulfill these meets, you're not only checking off the boxes, but you're doing them in a way that is upstanding and that is and that is admirable. Does that make sense? Meaning it's it's like another yeah, pillar. Yeah, it does. Yes, but I I want to I want to invoke Rav Lichtenstein again, um, just to avoid or make sure that we don't just see um, Kadoshim to you as kind of a nice, fluffy, be a good person notion of being a nice person. Mm-hmm. Right. Because not, not to say that that's, <laughs> that, the, that it's, that it's not substantive on its own, but for of Lichtenstein, Kadoshim to you is making, is making, is, is making it into a Dean and, you know, is making it into a law. It becomes objective. It becomes an objective part of the law. To be nice. For of Lichtenstein, there's this, there's something called Dean, there's something called law, which is object, an objective legal standard, right? That's what, that's the Ramban's baseline. There's law. But Lifnim Mishurat Hadin, which is what Kadoshim TU is referring to, which is super arrogatory behavior, Lifnim Mishurat Hadin, is like exactly what you just pointed out. It's situational ethics. Mm-hmm. It's in any given situation, um, you deciding what's good behavior, what's the right and good thing for me to do here. But you must do that. You have an imperative to decide for your for 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 any given situation and for and for yourself. What's the right thing to do? It's not nice for you to do that. You have to do that. So that as defined by Rav Lichtenstein is, is din, is, is halacha. Mm-hmm. It's within the halacha. The halacha dictates that we have to go beyond the halacha. Wow. And engage in situational ethics. So as we wind down our conversation for today, I guess I wanted to focus on the opinions, i.e. those that are not the Rambam, that really speak about Kiddushim to you as being an imperative that means going beyond what the what the law actually says, right? Whether or not it's within the system or it's external to the system, which is a very important piece of the conversation, but on a practical level, that 
uh, if if we understand that this imperative means we have to develop an, a, an ethic or perhaps a morality that is beyond the mitzvot themselves, so my question sort of becomes, how does one go about doing that? Meaning my first association is, you know, we, and obviously in much more modern times, is the Musser movement. And there have been ways that people have tried to go about sort of perfecting themselves, um, whether both beyond the Torah law or even to help themselves better follow the Torah law. But I guess I'm curious if you have any thoughts about how one can go about doing that? That's a great question. There's so much to be said on that. What does come to mind is the Ishbitzer. Uh, and, and it's also very apropos, very relevant for this time because he discusses this in his Haggadah, what he calls what his commentary called the Sefer Hasmanim. Mm-hmm. And he adopts a Nachmanidian ethos. He departs from Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, um, who sees this imperative to make ethical choices as an objective standard, right? Uh, as din, as, as uh, um, he says, no, it's really subjective. It's really for the, it's, it's really about the individual. Um, the Ishbitzer sees Kadesh et Atmacha b'mutarlach, right? As a way of forging an individualistic path within an impersonal framework called the mitzvot, you're finding your own spiritual personality. It's basically telling you, Kadoshim to you is telling you to customize your religiosity, to customize your um, religious experience and find a personal spiritual identity. Hear what God is saying to you in any situation and ask yourself in any situation, what does God want from me personally? This is not communal. It's not about a nation. This is about you. And you know, uh, the Hasidic masters tend to take these kind of like psychological approaches, right? So you really have to do in any given situation, like a real introspection and reflection and maybe you know, meditation even, and try to understand what God wants from me right now. I just also <laughs> want to point out for our, our listeners that Rav Mordechai Yosef Liner, who is the Ishbitzer, mm-hmm. who is, you mm-hmm. know, was a founder of the Ishbitz, the Radzin dynasty of Hasidic uh, Judaism, for those who aren't familiar with, or AKA the writer, the author of, of uh, Mashi Loach, these are some of the most popular Hasidic writings that are being studied today. And a lot of it is exactly because of the kind of commentary you just offered is that they're highly individualistic and they're very much about finding your mm-hmm. particular, even your authentic right root in your Judaism. And that's all language that has is highly resonant with current generations because we live in a world that's much more individually focused. So just throwing that piece out there for those, mm-hmm. for those who aren't sort of clued in, the Mashiach is studied very often in different places. Um, but I think that it's an important view because I think that that's one that many people can relate to. And, and again, if I'm thinking of, of ways that people have gone about sort of perfecting these ideas. So sometimes it's very hard to know in the moment, what does that mean, right? What does that mean to, you know, find Kedusha in the moment or find Kedusha in your particular fulfillment of the mitzvot? That path is not always clear for people. Um, and so, mm-hmm. I don't know, I just, I'm also thinking practically for for our listeners, what it means to to be Kadosh, you know, does it mean the feeling, the internal feeling of going above and beyond what you're supposed to do? Meaning sometimes we get real satisfaction by knowing that we did more than we were supposed to. And that itself 
feels very elevating for us in terms of our, our mitzvah observance. And I don't know, I'm just thinking of, of if there are other like practical suggestions that, that we could think of. For some people, just managing the mitzvot themselves, I think for most of us at some point, just managing the mitzvot themselves is, is a pretty big challenge, right? So That's the Rambam. Right. They, right. But if you do that, you're achieving Kedush according to the Rambam. Right. And it's interesting that we, that, like I said, that the Ramban is much more famous. We want, we, we want somebody to tell us that we have no to more. do something beyond the mitzvot. Right. We, yeah. we have maybe even a, a natural urge to do that. I'm not sure. Um, but listen, you know, in general, uh, the rabbinic literature points to virtue ethics. When it's talking about Kadoshim to you or Vasitahayashavatov, you know, they connect it to imitatio dei that were created in God's image, um, and to see what God is doing and, and to mimic what God is doing. Some of the halakhic literature associates that with comforting mourners and visiting the sick. Like you could really, you know, you could, you could, you could achieve it, this Kadusha, this elusive thing by doing, uh, precisely the acts that, that, that God does. You're right. The Musar movement has um, a, a lot to say about how to create a virtuous personality. Rav Shimshon Fala Hirsch, when he talks about Kedoshim T.U., he sees Kedoshim T.U. as being a, a, about the art form of, and he calls it, like, he compares it to other art forms, an art of, cre- of, of virtuosity, of creating a virtuous personality. So there's definitely, you know, a, a lot in that direction. I think that yeah. in, in the modern age, we've gone there much more. I think in some ways, it's mm-hmm. also because the Torah leaves a little bit of a vacuum regarding human emotion. And so another space mm-hmm. that we can easily work on that's not within the Torah's clear boundaries are, are places of emotion, right? Our, our anger, are the way we feel connected to other, the way connected to others, the way we treat others. We have stipulations, as you said, after but it's, it's not necessarily clear how to translate that into a working policy about how to better ourselves. So I feel like right. a lot of these or other, tzedek, 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 tzedek. exactly yeah. like a yeah. lot of these yeah. later <laughs> Torahs have come in to try and fill in the gap for that. If we're trying, and I know we really have to wrap up, but if we're trying to talk about ways in which we can apply Kedoshim Tiyu to our real lives, then maybe the rabbinic leadership has to apply Kedoshim to you just like Chazal did when establishing what the halacha is, that they don't um, just stick with the um, legal mechanisms that have been put in place in order to determine what the halacha is, but they also look at meta-halachic issues like integrity and, uh, I don't know, um, dignity and all of these kind of things. Right. I guess maybe in our modern word, we might sometimes call that a value. I think ethic is the correct word, but we might sometimes call that like our values, our meta values that go beyond the specific stipulations. I think that's a really important distinction to separate between like emotional work versus the ethics that guide somebody's life. I think that's a really important distinction. Julie, I really appreciate this conversation. I feel like we've opened up sort of a, a number of different avenues for our listeners to think about this idea of Kedoshim to you through all the different prisms that we've, we've used today. So really want to thank you for being here. Thank you so much. This was really an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. 
You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.